Hello, everybody. Welcome back to your Heart in the Paint podcast, the NBA podcast, where we ask the hard questions about the NBA. I am your host, Matt, again, joined by none other than Michael himself. And today on this wonderful 4-29-19, we have uh, some unfortunate news to announce, of course. Uh, But before we get to our first round matchups, as well as some post-Avengers talk, as well as story time. I'd like to give a special shout-out to our sponsor. It's actually a really big uh, sponsor we just landed for this uh, Heart in the Paint going forward. I'm super proud to announce that LeBron James himself has sponsored our Heart in the Paint podcast, and uh, he actually sent me a pair of his 16 low uh, medicine ball variety shoes which you can pick up, of course, at Nike.com or your favorite footwear store online or in stores. Uh, absolutely fantastic shoe here. You can even just see, uh, it will focus, how fantastically huge these Zoom Air units are in the in the forefoot and the heel. Uh, it's got some great stitching features. I really like the toe strap. Uh, of course, it's got the nice kind of prime knit feel as well as some uh, actual leather on the shoe uh, so you too can pick this up at your local store or you can be like me and get a discount code and use uh, hard in the paint when you check out at nike.com for 15% off your order and with that let's hop right into some bad news uh, I hate to bring the bringer of bad news but potentially the best uh, sixth man of all time, John Havlicek, has unfortunately passed away. Uh, great historic career by um, maybe one of the lesser known people in the NBA when it comes to uh, like sort of casual fan base because he's not like a Bill Russell or a Wilt Chamberlain or you know a Charles Barkley guy, but he was just a super solid all around dude. Um, great player. So. Unfortunately, Father Time's still undefeated. Uh, And on top of that, uh, let's just hop right into it with some sort of overall uh, comments that I would like to make with the first round. And that is, it seems like the experienced team won all of their games. We look at uh, Golden State has more playoff experience than the Houston Rockets. They won. We look at Boston, more playoff experience than the Bucks. They won their game. As well as uh, Toronto, more championship experience beat Philly. So pretty interesting that the rings are winning so far. If you win straight rings, which of course makes tonight's, I think it's tonight's matchup with Denver and Portland super interesting because both those teams have no rings, right? So... That ought to be fun. That was just my, like, high meta level <laughs> chain I found, the common link between everything. But uh, at, at what's your at-a-glance view of these uh, second-round playoffs so far, Michael? Well, your theory sort of breaks down with the Denver-San Antonio Game 7. Whoa, whoa, whoa I'm talking yes. just round two. Just round two. Hold on. <laughs> How convenient. Um, the big thing... I guess was the best player in each uh, matchup tended to dominate. Um, so Houston, Golden State, game one, 
again, I think we have to take these game ones with a grain of salt after the first round where the Magic and the Nets uh, came out really fiery. But Kevin Durant by far looked like the best player in the NBA. I think he's overtaken LeBron now. Yeah, I think I think uh, I was gonna kind of mention this later, but I think the Clippers series really ignited like the the Mamba mentality of KD. Almost, it seems like he's really almost ascended what is kind of typical, almost casual behavior to the game. Like it, it, he didn't go out every night trying to drop forty five on people, but now like the past four games, he's had forty plus. It seems like. Uh, and he just looks like he's willing to shoot over everybody, kind of like he was in that MVP year in OKC. It's pretty funny because he's actually taken the Harden method where Harden went on that streak of 30-plus games, scoring 30 points a night, and that was basically the only way that Houston was going to win or get to the playoffs or even get decent seeding. And Kevin Durant's basically doing that, but he's a much better score, like all-around scorer than Harden. Um, probably a much more efficient score um, by any advanced metric that you want to pull. Um, obviously, is a problem for every team, including Houston. They just didn't know how to match up with him. Um, I guess other first round thoughts Kawhi looked like the best player in that series, and Kyrie outdueled Giannis. Um, so it's kind of like the guys we thought were probably the best guys on the court tended to go that way and then you know boston boston that we always hoped for seemed to have finally showed up so yeah it's it's kind of crazy to me that uh i guess this would be a, a good segue into that boston series but it reminded me a whole lot of the games last year where it was Giannis would find himself trying to drive into three people the whole game and then whenever he passed it out, the guys were just missing shots or getting closed out on like perfectly. I mean, the, the sort of build the wall defense that it seems like they're doing over in Celtics lands. Amazing. And also yet again, is Al Horford looking like just the ultimate kind of wrench in the machine for really every other playoff team in the East, which is crazy to think. Um, that that was kind of my two biggest things I noticed from that game. That and as well as um, Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown looked really solid. It looked like they were running a lot of sets for Gordon Hayward, and he was doing like that playmaking small forward role that we kind of said would be great on a team like Utah. Um, and Jalen Brown's actually hitting shots and like kind of being the glue guy in the right spot at the right times guy, um, and it almost at a the the natural counter to this is Jason Tatum's been a little lackluster, but what a luxury to have is you've got three three different guys that you can run at those positions, let alone play together in any matchup. Um, so so maybe my contention here is obviously with the Bucks. The Bucks kind of got uh, haymakered in this first game. It seems like it just seemed like nothing was working, missing shots, um, just. Adjustments weren't there. Uh, I think Giannis, what he needs to do, and this is something that we've had the luxury of seeing the past 10 years with LeBron, 
is LeBron doesn't get pack lined. And if he does, he still figures out a way to like make the right play. Like maybe Giannis needs to give LeBron a call. What do you think about that? I don't know. It was tough to watch just because I'm pretty sure Giannis is the tallest guy because Horford is only what, 6'9? Six, 6'10? Nine? Six, nine? Yeah, I think Giannis has like an inch on him. So you would think that he'd be able to kind of bully his way down, especially without a guy like Marcus Smart and, you know, Marcus Morris, I guess you throw in there. But I guess, like you're saying, they just kind of throw a wall. They just kind of have this rotating group of guys throughout Giannis because he played most of the game. If not the entire game, I wouldn't be surprised. But it was it was really the supporting cast from Milwaukee that just looked completely shell-shocked. So I don't know if that's just poor coaching. Um, you know, not enough game prep, or maybe Bruno's are just didn't get the rotations right, the lineups. It seemed like every lineup that Boston threw out there just killed whatever Milwaukee lineup was out there, whether that was a combination of Terry Rogier and Hayward and Horford. Um, it, it just looked like the Celtics could go seven or eight deep, and the Bucks. Not even Chris Middleton had a good game. <laughs> yeah, that was probably the most surprising is, uh, you know, let's say Giannis kind of balls out and goes like 40, 15, and 15. Like, the rest of his team doesn't seem like they're pulling their weight, it almost feels like. Kind of like a, a Cleveland LeBron year without Love or Kyrie. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of it was they were missing shots that they typically take, but it also felt really similar to um, the games from last year as well as really game one of their playoffs this year where they just didn't have the intensity level across the board, it seemed like, um, that they that they had as they got into the Detroit series because we got to remember uh, the Bucks haven't really been challenged yet. They kind of been playing their game and really just lambasted the Pistons, so it almost didn't even matter what adjustments they made. But, I mean, maybe I'll throw this back to you. You know, we've had this ongoing Malcolm Brogdon injury. Is this where it's coming to bite you in the ass? Is is this matchup right here? So far it seems like it, but it really shouldn't be this much of a problem. Milwaukee matching up against Boston, um, you know, it was probably safe to say that we could have predicted the second round series, except we probably would have predicted Boston being the one seed and Milwaukee being the four. And it seemed like it played out that way, where Boston just seemed like the one seed and Milwaukee seemed like the four seed. Um, but with Brockton, it gives you more length. So you could throw that at Jalen Brown or Kyrie. And he does have probably more lateral quickness. And I guess the big thing is he takes the minutes away from Pat Connaughton, who looked absolutely atrocious. Yes. Pat Connaughton was the worst player on the court yesterday. Yeah, I actually, like, I thought George Hill gave him some good minutes, but I think you almost got to run, like, four guards with Giannis in this matchup because um, – Boston is so good, and you saw them do it the entire game where they would take a shot, they'd run four back right away and just put two of them like at the top of the key just to stop Giannis from going there off the fast break. 
And like I, I think the Bucks, I don't, I don't have the stats in front of me, but they probably had less than like ten fast break points the whole game, which is mind-boggling for a guy that can take three steps to go from free throw line to free throw line. Um, so that's just a huge coaching win for them. So I, I gotta say that I have more faith in the Bucks this year than last year. I mean, they've obviously been playing better. They got Coach Bud. Uh, you know, Brogdon could come back at some point, so that'd be a huge boost. And uh, Bledsoe obviously has some revenge game in him at some point. Uh, but it really just a big blindside, it, it felt like. Like, I almost turned it off at the end of the, the third quarter. I was like, this game just felt over real quick to me. Yeah, I don't know if it was... I wouldn't say I was, you know, I was surprised by the result. I was surprised by how bad... Milwaukee's guards were, and also their bigs. So Bledsoe was bad. Connaughton was trash. Chris Middleton looked off. Miritich looked bad. Lopez looked off. Ilya So, I mean, it's like, that's six guys. <laughs> the only one that looked like he was even like halfway confident to playing in that series was Giannis, who, you know, is basically having his career year, his uh, coming out party year. Um, I don't know. Either Milwaukee has to figure out who's going to play the four, you know, their four or five matchup and keeping two bigs out there. Otherwise they have to go the opposite way and go small ball and throw Giannis at the five. But then I don't know who you put at the four. Miritich? You can't play Giannis against Horford, it feels like. I don't know, but you can't go big because they're just getting killed. <laughs> Yeah, I, it, it felt really bad because there's a lot of times I was watching that where it ended up being Giannis would guard Horford or, like, offer a switch or something. And, uh, you know, Giannis is kind of a roamer when it comes to the defensive end. He doesn't really yeah, exactly. want to, like, ISO on someone. You know, if they saw a Thon Maker, this might be, like, a, a good series for Thon, Thon Maker. Just kind of an athletic 4-5. You don't really need him on the offensive end. You just need him to play good defense and clean up on the boards. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, what do you make of Boston possibly pulling the greatest flip the switch hoodwink in NBA history? I think this is something we can't overlook. Uh, for the probably since December, really, we were all like, Boston's in a tailspin. Kyrie's calling LeBron about leadership. Everybody's on a different page. You know. Kyrie's going to be leaving. Jalen looks bad. Gordon looks like he only has one leg still. Jason Tatum regressed to the nth degree. They lose Marcus Smart. Yeah, Marcus Smart goes out. It just, it seemed like nothing was going right. And then, you know, April starts and it's like, oh, Boston's back to where they were last year. And just like all of a sudden they took all of the flipping the switch power from Golden State and somehow magically did it. In Boston, I I think it's got to come down to like it's, it's got to come down to the coaching staff, I would think, and maybe maybe it's some old Kyrie. Oh, I've got rings. Let's fucking buckle down, boys. Um, if Boston wins Game Two, is the series over? I, I yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to say no, but it certainly felt like it after game one, man. It's like, you know, uh, there's no way Milwaukee should lose two games at home to start the series. That's just brutal, let alone uh, 
then have to win four in a row pretty much. Golly, man. So, who would you say is the X factor in the Boston Milwaukee series? I think it's Gordon Hayward. I'm going to go with that. I think we've seen what Kyrie and Al Horford are going to do. They're kind of your consistent, you know, stuff. But Gordon Hayward getting into those pick and rolls, putting like Sterling Brown in like sort of defensive uh, scenarios and then like just passing to whichever side of the court Giannis isn't on, it seems to be working okay. Uh, they're really running a lot of plays for him, and I think it's working out pretty well. Uh, what adjustment does Milwaukee need to make for game two to get back in the series? I don't know. This is a, this is a tough one. Paul Pierce on ESPN was like, oh, it's over already. I'm like, holy crap, that's a big prediction. But he also well, likes hot takes. He's a Boston homer. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I feel like it's got to come down to just like an entire, like they have to execute in the half court way better, which means, because it's obvious Giannis isn't going to get paint position off a fast break. That's just how Boston's playing it. So I think what you got to do is you got to get, you got to run some like uh, post cuts for like uh, low post stuff for Giannis. And your dudes just have to hit shots on the perimeter. Like, you basically need to play, like, uh, 2015 LeBron, where he's going to crab dribble in the post, and he's got four shooters around him. If you double, it passes out, and it swings around until there's an open shot. Like, that's... It's so lame. It's not Giannis's game, really, to be, like, when he's sitting in the post and wait for a double, like Embiid does. Um, but I think that's what you got to do, because he is, he is the size mismatch. Like... That's what you need to exploit on him. Like, you run a pick and roll, you get a swap, you got to dish it to him quick. You run some fake action on the other side of the the floor, and then the double comes, and he passes out to somebody, and they swing it, and they get a three from Bledsoe or something. I, like, that's your best hope, I think. How do the Bucks stop Kyrie? You don't. We've already, I've conceded that one. They aren't stopping him unless they got a person named. Uh, LeBron James on the other team. Um, all right, let's switch to Philly, Toronto. Any surprises that really jumped out to you? As much as we just ragged on Boston kind of solving the Bucks, I think the Raptors really solved Philly even harder. Um, this dude named Kawhi Leonard looked like he was basically unguardable which is insane, as well as Siakam, by the way. Um, Philly looked like they were playing a regular season game to me. Didn't quite look like they had their rotation figured out, their matchup figured out, in terms of like in, even individual assignments. Uh, as well as Embiid just had a freaking terrible game against Gasol, but that's what I've predicted ever since that trade happened. Thank you very much. Uh yeah, Philly and Milwaukee both thrive on transition baskets. And in the playoffs, the game slows down to a half-court game. And that's not Philly's thing because they have Ben Simmons. And that's not Milwaukee's thing because it doesn't work unless the guys hit shots from the outside. Um, you know, we've seen this with Houston. We've seen it with Milwaukee. And we've basically seen it with Philly, who don't even really have any shooters outside of KJ Redick. But... 
I think the two biggest things that stood out were Bryce Harris was fucking trash on defense. I don't even know how to describe it. It was, it was just bad. I, he wasn't doing anything really wrong. It just seemed like no matter what, you know, it's almost like they were picking on him. You know how um, a lot of teams pick on like Steph, or they pick on Kyrie, or they pick on Terry Rozier just because they're like super small, so it makes sense. It felt like that, except Tobias Harris is like six eight, six nine, and guys were picking on him. Yeah, I was going to say kind of the opposite point to this, and that is it didn't look like they uh, exploited Reddick that much, like most teams do. Like, it looked yeah, like J.J. Like Reddick was really playable. Yeah. <laughs> like, it looked like Reddick was, like, keeping them in the game almost, even though they weren't picking on him on offense, which is, like, crazy, because that's kind of how you're supposed to beat Philly, is you pick on Reddick. And uh, what, what were your thoughts on the resurrection of Mark Gasol? Dude, I saw this coming ever since that trade happened. I, I've been telling you, everyone here, our audience, since day one, that this trade was exclusively to shut down Joel Embiid, as well as add a second defensive player of the year to your team. So uh, I think that's working out pretty doggone good. And the best part is, is he doesn't even have to put up ridiculous numbers. Uh, let's be like yeah, Kawhi I, was like 15 of 20 for the game. Let's be honest. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, and he was popping threes, was playing interior defense, fadeaways. Yeah, I just I really didn't see it coming. I thought he would give them like you know decent presence for the paint and stuff, but. They actually kind of throw it back at Embiid on the other end of the floor and make Embiid, who was, you know, kind of up there in terms of defensive centers, he made Embiid look like a fucking kid. So I think uh, in terms of Philly, because they obviously need to be making the adjustments now, kind of in the same gun to the head as the Bucks are. Uh, not as bad, but still kind of close. Uh, Philly, first off, I think they need to game plan around Kawhi better. And I'm not I'm not gonna say this the way you're thinking of it in terms of like offense defense. What I'm thinking of is that one it must have been the year Kawhi got hurt where I think it was in the the round before they played Golden State. The opposing team it I remember. Yeah, I think it was Houston. They would just put whoever Kawhi was guarding in the corner and just take Kawhi out of the play. You, you you remember this where they would, oh. they would they would just take that fourth player and just run him all the way across the court and Kawhi's got to guard his man right? Yeah, they basically tried to isolate Kawhi from being a help defender, which is kind of what Giannis does right now, where Giannis isn't actually guarding the ball handler, but he's basically guarding the worst offensive player on the other team, so that way he can do help defending, um, and that's why. I'd, I don't necessarily agree with you, but, I mean, feel free to keep going with it. Flush it out. No, it's a total strategy, I think, because in this case, what you want to do is let's say that the way you – I don't know how you actually execute the sex in the nose-wise, but theory-wise, what should happen is you end up playing four-on-four on offense. If you're taking Kawhi out of the game <laughs> on, on offense – not out of the game, but let's say out of the game half the time, and let's say whoever he's guarding is – you know, Jimmy Butler 
Or Tobias Harris? Who is he going to guard that would be out on the perimeter? That's the problem. That's 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 why I said I don't know how the X's and O's work, but the theory <laughs> seems okay. Um, on top of Matt, that, you're an engineer. It's not about theory; it's about application. Nah, uh, it's all about the theory here. That's why it's why we haven't been picked up by ESPN yet. Uh, so I, I also want to say that it seemed like Simmons was intentionally trying to guard Kyle Lowry, which felt like a what the heck matchup move to me. Yeah, it felt like a waste. Put Ben Simmons on Kawhi, Brett Brown. Yeah, I'm like, or even on Siakam. Like, what the heck are you doing, dude? Oh, that's not a bad idea. Although I do think you need to shut down Kawhi more than anybody. Because Kawhi is a problem that they, they just don't know how to deal with. Because you can't put Jimmy on him. Jimmy just looks too slow. Tobias Harris looked fucking awful. Um, Embiid's probably not healthy. J.J. Reddick's too small. Uh, Mike Scott, I think, got injured. Yeah, he did. So that's a big deal. PJ McConnell is hella short. Um, Corkmaz? But are you going to play Corkmaz like 25 minutes a game? 30 minutes a game? I feel like it has to be Ben Simmons. Yeah, I think so too. Um, But they obviously didn't do that for at least half of that game. So that's a pretty big deal. Well, that was like a total WTF move. Uh, that was that was actually I wrote that in all caps on my sheet here. It's like WTF move. Um, and and now it really just comes down to. I think if you know if uh, the Raptors get in a rut, they can just pick on Redick. And that just like would absolutely kill Philly. Like like we said earlier, they didn't even really do that that much in the game. Um, and I, it was also crazy that Ibaka got to kind of play that roaming defender too at the end of that game, which was really sad. So I feel bad for Philly, but at the same time, they should have enough talent and pieces to make it work somehow. I mean sure Kawhi is like maybe we say Kawhi is the most talented player in the series but then like the next talent has got to be Embiid right yeah like like Danny Green's really close though yeah but Philly's like got the like fourth fifth and sixth most talented person in this matchup yeah but it doesn't matter if they don't know how to play with each other and that was a problem in the half court because if you have Ben Simmons and he's not playing point what exactly is Ben Simmons doing in the half court? I mean, that's just wasted space. And then I don't, I don't know. It's almost like Philly is either too small or too big. I haven't quite made up my mind. So, do we start knocking Brett Brown for being a bad coach yet, or is that too early of a hot take? Um, like I said, game ones, I've learned my lesson with the Magic and the Nets. You know. Keep it in check, but don't over over overreact. Um, if, if they're decent coaches, or if they've shown that they have any potential, they'll figure out some adjustment. Because uh, obviously, Brett Brown is going against Nick Nurse, who he himself doesn't have exactly like a high amount of head coaching experience or even successful playoff experience. So, you know, I, I, it's not like you're going against. Greg Popovich, Popovich, who actually had a really 
really poor night in Game Seven. But um, who would you say is the X factor in the Philly Toronto series? The X factor for me is probably Jimmy. I'm going to say this because it feels like he should not score like the entire series. Like you've got, you got to punch through Danny Green. You got to punch through Kyle Lowry. You got to punch through Kawhi. Like you, you ain't getting any post possessions on those. Like you're not faster than all three of those guys. There, two of them are longer than you. Like it seems like a really rough Jimmy series. So if he scores like more than twenty a game on like pretty decent shooting, I'd say they probably win the game. And the big thing is, apart from JJ Redick, Jimmy's kind of the only guy that can actually play in a half court offense consistently. Yeah, that's a big deal. Is is the half court consistency is just not there. Uh, so uh, let's segue. What over. adjustment could Philly make? To the Philly adjustments, yeah. So Philly, I think, like I said, try the uh, the Kawhi Leonard offense. You know, like <laughs> like they used to do the uh, what what was his name, Tony Whoever defense, where you just leave the guy wide open. Oh, Tony Allen. Tony, yeah, <laughs> it's the exact opposite of that, pretty much. So try that for like a handful of possessions just to see if it works. And then I would be tempted to really change up your starting lineup. Cause I think you can afford to play like TJ McConnell on Kyle Lowry. Oh, interesting. Who would you take out of the starting lineup? I would take Tobias or Jimmy out. I think. Bench Jimmy for TJ McConnell. It feels like a really good matchup thing, though. You just try to lose a series. <laughs> I'm just trying. I'm just trying to experiment, man, because that's what it feels like they got to do. They just got to r- freaking roll some dice and hope I mean, some works. There's experimenting, and then there's absolutely wrecking team chemistry. You want to make Jimmy Butler the guy who destroyed all of Minnesota, <laughs> come off the bench? I'm not sure his ego can take it. Well, if he wins a ring, is it worth it? Um, who do you think has the better chance of uh, getting back and evening the series, Philly or Milwaukee? I think Philly does. Um, one, really? they're not they're they're away right now, so that helps a lot. Obviously, um, I think there's just too much good talent on that team to fuck it up that bad. Like, I can say that with the Bucks because Giannis is obviously head and shoulders literally above everybody else. But their second and third guy is just leagues apart from that. Whereas Philly, at least, it has, like, a nucleus or, like, a centroid of talent that should all be able to click together. But mm-hmm. something is going wrong there. Um, what about in the West? Portland, Denver, game one is tonight. So I guess we should leave this off with, of course, uh, Denver beat the Spurs in a almost a blown game. Uh, they were up at like 15 or 16 at one point. It went down to like a two-point game, and then the Spurs didn't foul and do normal in this game behavior. DeRozan became playoff DeRozan. Yeah, and... Uh, Jokic looks 
really good. He's kind of getting all the publicity that he rightfully deserved last year, it seems like. So now how does this impact Portland? So my big thing is uh, who the heck guards Dame? That's my problem is I don't see a really? good Dame stopper. Ah, I'm actually on the opposite side. Who guards Jokic? No, yeah, I mean that that I was that was my next question is they both kind of have the right piece that's good against the other team it seems like. Because at least Denver they just have a slew of two guards. They have a lot of bodies, yeah. So they could just kind of throw at either CJ or Dame depending on who's hot. Um but then I mean, who knows? I mean, based on what Dame did in the first round, this might just be one of those series where he's going to put up hardened like numbers and Get get him to um, West Conference Finals. I do think it's interesting that the first game is in Denver, um, so they play the game seven, and they don't have to travel for this game one. They, you know, it's only two days. You, you kind of come off the high of winning that, and then you don't have to actually go on the road, which I think is pretty nice. Um, but then Portland does feel unbeatable in Portland. So if Portland can steal one game, I think that's huge. I I think this goes to seven though, honestly. Like that's a very real thing to me. If like especially if the Zenus Canner injury is anything to worry about, like that just gives Jokic free ball and just now screws up Portland's like flow. Then they play like almost Houston level small ball. And that's not really something they're tooled for. What, what do they do with Paul Millsap? Because if Cantor can't go, Nurkic is out. Zach Collins is a pretty skinny dude. I, I almost they, wish you still had Ed Davis at this point. Yeah, because I mean, Millsap, Millsap's kind of a big guy, and Jokic is obviously a big guy. Like, you know, they're, you know, Millsap is definitely a traditional four. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's, it's kind of odd that you have kind of a mile-high team, and then you have Portland, who would uh, be great on kind of just the, the small ball style. But... Uh, uh, this will this is definitely one I'm watching. Now, uh, I think by the transitive property, I have to be a Portland or a Denver fan now that Utah's out, and uh, there's no way I'm rooting for the Rockets after their performance yesterday. So uh, I think I'm going to uh, buy myself the... a Dame jersey. In the Portland-Denver series, who do you think, who's the best player? Dame's the best player. Uh, X-Factor. X-Factor is Paul Millsap. Interesting. Um, what's the biggest problem for Denver? What's the biggest problem for Portland? So Portland's biggest problem, is obviously, is going to be Jokic. But more importantly, it's going to be how they try and space him out of the floor. Um, you know, if Cantor's there, they can kind of play a very traditional game. He's not there. You've got a real issue, especially if uh, Denver traps like they like the OKC kind of did to Dame in some of those games. Uh, so then it kind of comes down to CJ McCollum being the guy that Dame passes it to, and then he plays two on one with somebody. Um, at the same time. You know, is the supporting cast of Mo Harkless and Evan Turner 
and kind of those middlemen compared to people like Will Barton, Gary Harris. I don't think so. I think Will Barton and Gary Harris have the advantage. So I think the others on Denver are surprisingly pretty solid against this team. I'm really interested to see how much shit-talking Dame does and whether that gets into the heads of the young guys like Jamal Murray and Gary Harris, um, as well as if IT4 gets any playing time. Or is he completely out? Uh, I feel like they were scared to play him in the Spurs series for some reason. I think he still does have that hip problem, so maybe he would get spot minutes if, like, somebody really screwed up. But they have, like, three two-guards that can also play point guards, so IT is kind of pretty low in the pecking order. Um, even though we never really got to see him play, if they had a healthy Michael Porter Jr., does that kind of push you that Denver might actually win in, like, five or six games as opposed to maybe seven games? I could see six, um, but you know it's it's so hard to evaluate a guy we haven't seen play. And my best idea of him would be like, oh, I don't know, modern Paul Millsap. I was gonna say like a, a six nine Malcolm Brogdon, kind of does it all. <laughs> okay, but is not like Blake. Not no nah, not like not like Blake because he's not like a dunker right he's just like a all around good player like he can pass he can shoot I mean, is Blake really a dunker anymore? Well, he's got one leg, so that's not helping him out too much. Speaking of one legs, uh, the number one debate, of course, going around NBA Twitter is James Harden's one legs that keep sticking out when he shoots threes in this fantastically horrendous game one to watch. I think this was the most poorly officiated game of the playoffs I've seen so far. Like six minutes in the first quarter, I was already like, there's a makeup call. And I couldn't believe I was thinking that already. Um, in terms of the debate, however, to settle the Twitter questions, my hypothesis is some dude made a pretty good case for this online. I was looking at today. And he took Harden's three-point shot from, like, the past three or four years as well as when he was in the three-point contest and just kind of made a quick, you know, flipbook video of all of them put together and then the threes he was taking in this game. And you can just clearly see Harden's, like, five feet past the line. He's jumping. He's swaying forward, spreading his legs, and ending up in front of the three-point line or sideways of it or some weird direction, like, every time this game uh so it's clearly not a natural motion on that regard however at the same time this is the guy who did the rip through the pick and roll kind of elbow free three throws guy i mean he's trying to i don't want to say exploit the game because that seems too negative but that's kind of way he's been making his money off of the past two years it seems like is these cheeky fouls these little tips and tricks that um, that you always hear like the next summer that the refs worked on reviewing film of and aren't going to call that this year, you know? Do you think Golden State has perfected the Zaza Pachulia I'm just going to land under you kind of move? I don't think it. I, don't I, think... Count, I, I counted five times where either Clay or Steph 
or um, Iggy ended up under Harden or CP3? Four times for Harden, one time for CP3. It seems like a lot. I'd give the CP3 one, but on the other side of the ball, I mean, that happens to Steph like twice a game at least. Not as egregious, though. Clay should have been called three times. It was never called for any of them. I'll agree that you can be called for that, but I don't think at the same time. I mean, we penalize leg kicks. Like, if the dude's trying to land in on you after he shoots, is that his fault? Uh, yeah, when you're crouching the landing. I don't know. It, it, it's a line. Wreck. Yeah. Well, we've seen it completely wreck an entire franchise, right? 2017, Game 1, Western Conference Finals. Spurs are up by 20. Zaza six out of his leg. Kawhi goes down. And I mean, the next decade of San Antonio basketball is forever changed. And it just seemed like Clay was doing it a lot. It didn't seem like Harden was really going out of his way to kind of get the foul. Like, honestly, two of them, I was just like, what the fuck, Clay? Like, you're one of the best defenders. You should know better. But then he didn't get called for it. So I'm like, all right, I guess he's going to keep doing it. Yeah, and, and to be fair, I think some of them weren't as egregious as other ones. So I think maybe you could say half of them were good and half of them weren't. So that's six free throws, let's say. He makes five of them. Yeah, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I mean, I guess my problem is those kind of fouls, if they don't get called, tend to just um, increase the tension on the court for everyone. And these two teams already don't like each other from last year. And then you factor in the fact that now it feels like Houston, the refs are against them. And you know, CP3 is not exactly like a calm fucking guy. Like he's going to, I mean, he got double teched and uh, kicked out of a fucking game. So I, I don't like I don't it know. too from the regard that. If, if the refs let it go too far, you're going to have Draymond on one side, CP3 on the other. Boogie might get a tag. I mean, you know, you don't want to see like all these players get thrown out of a game and then it's like, oh, Kevin Durant's the only guy playing against fucking Daniel House and Nene and stuff. Yeah, so the, the reason I don't like this is, you know, doing rip-throughs and stuff, like, that's not... Uh, rip-throughs are like a tic-tac foul, right? Like, like kind of like hooking in the paint. It's like, okay, it's a tic-tac foul the chance of like severely injuring someone or being super frustrated about those is it's there, but it's not high by any stretch. Whereas when you feel like you can just kind of land under somebody or go underneath somebody while they're shooting. I mean, like, like you mentioned, it can completely change to just a franchise overnight. You've got stuff that already has glass ankles and paper skin. I mean, you imagine, you know, some guy like Durant with no fucking leg muscle. I mean, you know, if anything, the Warriors need to be worried about some sort of revenge plan of a similar egregious foul. Well, I mean, my issue is last year, CB3 goes down at the end of game five and he's out for game six and seven. And it just felt like, you know, even though the Rockets were up in both games, the series had basically moved into its golden states to lose. And we kind of get our, you know, our kind of redo here a little bit. Um, and you don't want to see like CP3 who has an injury history get injured on something like this again, you know, where it's, 
you know, maybe Clay is guarding him, and then Clay gets underneath him, and then CP3 rolls his ankle, and he, then he's out for the next, like, two games. I mean, you know, the whole point is to have these two teams be healthy, and this is probably the healthiest we're going to see them. Um, you know, obviously Boogie's not in this, but how much has Boogie really been factored in this rivalry anyway? Clay is, uh, you know, probably fine. KD's probably fine. Draymond's probably fine. Steph probably like 90%. But really, Harden actually looks the worst right now. I mean, does Harden look healthy to you? No, he looks insane. In a good way or a bad way? In a bad way. Like, yeah. Like, I, I don't like how your game plan is is this uh, jumping three free throws thing. Like, what are you doing, dude? Like, that's not how you won against Utah. <laughs> I don't know. He just he doesn't look right. He looks hurt. I feel like he's um, harboring some type of injury that he doesn't want to disclose. For oh, there is a thing about weird. this, actually, I saw on Twitter. Uh, some guy, like a day, I think it was Saturday, so the day before the game, took, found Harden in the public, and Harden had like a really big-ass wrist. It was almost like a cast or a brace or something on, on his left wrist, which is his shooting hand. And somebody pinned it back to, uh, I think it was the last game of the Utah series, somebody tried to smack the ball out of his hand and got him on the wrist, and then he fell kind of awkward. So maybe there's something to it. Maybe it'll just go away in a couple days. Um, I, I think I'm yeah, in this, I though, mean, I... for the fuck you KD mode that's now coming upon us as the new premier offensive fuck you player in the league, maybe? I don't know if it's a fuck you KD. I think it's just the fact that Houston doesn't have anybody to match up on him. Wasn't a problem last year. Oh, wait, who'd they get rid of? <laughs> I mean, how many minutes were they just putting P.J. Tucker on him? And P.J. Tucker's like five six inches shorter than kd and definitely can't really jump i mean, I mean KD, just land under once he him. elevates is like seven four <laughs> yeah it feels good to have trevor reza right now doesn't it oh man oof you know who'd look really good is lebron on a houston team just, just ask him to play defense just ask him to play defense on kd you get enough yeah, yeah, throw him there. I'd be down. Um, what do you make of Draymond's fetish for racking up technical fouls in the playoffs right now? Dude, he gets away with so much shit. Like, he's got that rambunctious personality already and, like, this reputation of loud-mouthing, but I feel like if it was 80% of other players, they wouldn't get away with half of what he does. I mean, he does have three techs. In seven games, seems like a lot. How many do you need to um, be suspended for a game? Five? I think it's five, maybe sixth. So he might be, he might be suspended for a game in the later stages of the Western Conference Finals if they make it, or even the finals, which would be kind of interesting. Yeah, let's get that narrative going again. <laughs> well, especially because. Honestly, yesterday, apart from Kevin Durant, Draymond looked like the best player on the floor. Yeah, he did. Looked fucking amazing. I don't, I don't know who who would you rather have right now, playoff Draymond or playoff Enos Cantor? Playoff Draymond, dude. I'll take that shit. 
<laughs> Hamptons Five Draymond, where they're playing like 2016 Golden State basketball. I mean, yeah, Draymond playing the five, Katie playing the four. Yeah, that's like it feels like that's what it's supposed to be. You know, it's not supposed to be this boogie. You know, it's like it's like when they do the reboot of the franchise ten years later and everybody's older. It's like this isn't what this is supposed to be. What do you make of Houston moving away from the pick and roll with Capella? I'm so confused. It, it didn't seem like they were really playing the pick and roll with Capella a lot. You know, usually there's there's that two man game of CP3 and Capella or Harden and Capella, and instead it, it seemed like they kind of they just kind of let Capella stand in the paint. But they didn't really utilize them on like a high screen, which they usually do. Yeah, I, I was also surprised at that. I'm just so confused why they didn't do that. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know they want to target Steph, so they were doing a lot of screening where, you know, they they do Eric Gordon or CB3 just to get Steph onto Harden or Steph onto Eric Gordon or something, but it does seem like you really need to fold Capella into this because Golden State doesn't really have a five. Apart from Kevin Looney, who's probably the only athletic big that we have, because otherwise you have Draymond, who's small, and you have Bogut, who's uh, old. Yeah, they don't have like a real playable center in this matchup. Uh, you know, I mean, Gobert kind of you can get away with him, but KD is your best playable rim protector for Golden State. So if you aren't putting him in jeopardy somehow as you're going to the hoop, I mean, I, if it was me, I was trying to be like you know, this Chris Paul pick on you or James Harden pick on you strats. Like, all right, I either want Steph on me or I want KD on me. Like, those are my two options, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm either picking KD to be fuck you and take him off of the rim or I'm picking Steph because I'm going to shoot over him and he's the most fragile to break on offense. So, I don't get it. Another weird game one moment, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, how does Houston come back and try an even series? Because they were pretty close to actually pulling this one out of their ass, despite horrendous shooting. Yeah, I think if they just uh, kind of tone down the foul drawing attempts, maybe, and uh, do some more action towards the rim, I mean, they can win a game. I mean, you got to think it only, they only had to make like two or three threes and that game would be theirs, right? Yeah. Who's the uh, X Factor in the series? Uh, Trevor Ariza. <laughs> uh, players that are actively playing in that series. Uh, I think the X Factor is probably... Somebody's somebody's ankles. Whether it's Steph's ankles, Harden's ankles, somebody who gets landed under, Austin Rivers. Oh, you just think there's like a you just think there's like a, a George Hill uh, situation here where there's just an injury waiting to happen. I mean, if if that's what's not going to get called, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> Is the Houston Golden State matchup? Um, is it worthy of its billing as the best in the second round? No, I, I think this is actually 
it's not it's pretty in the middle of the road. I'd say it's not the most boring, but it's not the most exciting either. I think I think Denver Portland's probably the most exciting just cuz two teams we haven't seen get this far. Dame's coming out hot, Denver's coming off hot. Styles. Yeah, really unique matchups. Yeah. Um then I think you could make an argument it's Golden State Rockets because just firepower. It's just going to come down to making ridiculous shots. Uh and then kind of I think I think Philly might be the most boring one for me to watch because it's just frustrating to be like, this should work, but it doesn't. Um, at what point in the Houston Golden State series do one of the commentators uh, make the point that Andrew Bogut is the only number one player on the floor? Am I taking an over-under on this like four times? No, like which game? Which game do you think they first bring it up that Andrew Bogut is the number one pick? Oh, uh, game... Because none of the others are number one picks. Game four at home. <laughs> Wait, no, they'd be on the road. They'd be in Houston. Oh, yeah, sorry. Game four in Houston, yep. You think that's the Andrew Bogut number one pick for The Andrew Bogut game. <laughs> um, all right, that, that's it for the second round, right? Yeah, that pretty much wraps up all the games. It's kind of nice not to have a game. Oh, I guess we still have games every day, so it's been hard to like. But it doesn't feel quite as uh, claustrophobic. Yeah, it doesn't feel like I have to come home from work and watch games for six hours. Like, oh, I can come home, go to the gym, get some dinner, then watch a game. Yeah, and it is nice that we've kind of skinned out, you know, a team like the Magic, who, great year, but it's like, I don't really want to watch fucking DJ Augustine <laughs> or yeah. Indiana, where it's just sad to watch. Um, oh, uh, let's, I guess, wrap it up with the Clippers. They finally exited, probably way exceeded their expectations uh, this season, but Lou Williams uh, had a real struggle there in game six. Yeah, it was, and Montrez Harrell too, he got into some really early foul trouble. They just could not get this dynamic duo going at all. Um Jay and Shamit kind of hung in there a little bit towards the end when Lou couldn't get it going, and it really came down to, I think, uh, they started to, I think they trapped Lou a couple times, and they, they showed people on him, so he just couldn't get free drives. In, like, they stopped playing yeah. people straight up, pretty much. I mean, it also doesn't help when KD has 50. Yeah, I mean, we got the ascended KD, so that's exciting to watch. Which is nice. Uh, and then, so I was playing basketball over the weekend, and I blew through my shoes. Not quite Zion style, but uh, they're fucking gone, and the soles are completely ripped in half. Uh, so Michael needs a new pair of shoes. So feel free to hit us up in the comments on what Michael should buy for fucking shoes to play basketball. Uh, Michael, do you have a budget restriction? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to spend more than like 50-ish bucks. Do you, have a, go, do you have a brand uh, restriction? Are you are you a Nike? Are you uh, a Nike boy? So, uh, I'm actually I'm pretty open to pretty much every brand, even even some of the weird, you know, like uh, what's that one like super specific like running shoe? Uh, it's like Italian. Sacconi, Sacconi. Um, honestly, some of the Puma ones jumping out at me. I'd recommend trying those Puma ones on because uh, some of those are pretty uncomfortable. 
uh, as yeah, I, I bought a pair out. myself, and I cannot barely wear them because they don't feel good. Uh, who's got the better selection, Mebin or Smithfield? That fucking Adidas and Smithfield is so fucking dirt cheap. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Smithfield it is. The Nike story is, it's gone downhill since the last time I was there, but, uh... Oh, really? Yeah. Mebbin's all right, but it's going to be more... If you like Under Armour, there's one in Mebbin. Well, I guess there's one in Smithfield, too, but the one in Mebbin's way better. Um, I feel like feeling Mebbin's got more modern stuff. It feels like Smithfield kind of gets, yeah. like, six months old shit all the time. Um, yeah, well, I gotta make my decision kind of quick because uh, the next game's on Thursday. So. Oh shit! Well, uh, <laughs> sponsors send us that overnight shipping, and uh, we'll hit you up. Yeah, so fans out there, if you uh, know of any shoes that prevent you from tearing your ACL, I'd uh, love to hear your comments. No Kyrie fours for this man. <laughs> All right, and with that, that will wrap up our heart in the paint. Uh, podcast for this wonderful monday i almost said tuesday for some reason of course you can find us in the descriptions below the links the emails all of those fancy things the thumbs up the likes the stars the emojis however this forum likes your engagement we would appreciate as well as your questions comments and concerns Again, uh, RIP John Havlicek. Yeah, rip our John Havlicek boy. We'd like to thank LeBron for sponsoring this episode. Uh, I, we see you at your kids' games with Carmelo, Dwayne Wade, <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else. That's a fucking boss move, though, by a parent. Dude, that, that would scare the shit out of me if I was playing that game. Like, holy fuck. <laughs> like, I got four NBA Hall of Famers watching me. <laughs> Like, if I, like, dribble it off my own foot, I'm going to look like a dang reject. (laughs) Uh, Could you imagine all the conflicting advice that they'd be getting between Carmelo, who'd be like, yeah, dude, just stay out on the wing and pop up some... Just shoot it in his face, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Tony would be like, no, drive it and pump fake a couple times. And LeBron would be like, take a couple crab dribbles, wait a second. Pass it out to Daladova. And then Udonis Hazel would be like, nah, fuck all that shit. Just grab the rebound. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right, folks. We'll catch you on the flip-flop.